This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Today is Wednesday, August 19th, 2020. On this day in 1692, five residents of Salem, Massachusetts, including a clergyman, were hanged to death for the crime of witchcraft. They wouldn't be the last. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a ParCast original. I'm Vanessa Richardson, and today I'm joined by our guest host, Wendy. Thanks for having me here, Vanessa. And hello, everyone. ParCast fans may recognize Wendy from the ParCast original Unsolved Murders. Every Tuesday, Unsolved Murders dives into a new crime scene and investigation, and then attempts to solve the case. Wendy's here to discuss some of the historical aspects of the Salem witch trials and executions, while I'll cover the narrative. I'm excited to dive into the hysteria of Salem's notorious witch trials. Thrilled to have you join me. Due to the graphic nature of today's crimes, listener discretion is advised. Extreme caution is advised for listeners under 13. Now, let's go back to the town of Salem, Massachusetts, on the evening of August 19, 1692. As the cart rolled through Salem, people came out from their homes to watch it pass. It was a macabre curiosity that pulled them to their doors. They were eager and terrified to see the condemned witches on the way to their death. Some followed the cart rattling through the village, glaring at the prisoners. Others were more circumspect, lingering in small clusters as far from the cart as they could, all while still catching a glimpse of Satan's servants. In the back of the cart sat four men and a woman. 61-year-old John Proctor had been accused of witchcraft when he criticized the witch trial of his pregnant wife, Elizabeth. John Willard, around 30 years old, was a former constable. He had initially arrested those suspected of witchcraft, but like Proctor, he had questioned the integrity of Salem's witch trials and resigned his post. Shortly after, several people accused him of witchcraft. 72-year-old George Jacobs Sr. was also a critic of the trials, and he seldom attended church. When his servant accused him of practicing dark magic, he was put on trial, and many neighbors testified that he was guilty. In the courtroom, he was asked to recite the Lord's Prayer. Everyone in Salem knew a witch would be incapable of accomplishing such a feat. Unfortunately for Jacobs, he forgot parts of the prayer, and his fate was sealed. Martha Carrier, a 33-year-old mother, lived in nearby Andover and had been accused of witchcraft by her neighbor, Benjamin Abbott. The pair had a disagreement about land, and Abbott fell ill shortly after the dispute. 
When Martha's children, also accused, were convinced to testify against her, the court was convinced of her guilt. Finally, and most troubling of all for many villagers, was the Reverend George Burroughs, who was in his 40s at the time. A decade earlier, he served the villagers as their minister, but left when his salary was frequently unpaid. During his time in Salem, he'd borrowed money from the Putnams, a local family, to help support his own kin. When he failed to repay the debt, the Putnams accused him of witchcraft. And that was that. By the time the cart full of witches arrived at Gallows Hill, a sizable procession was gathered behind it. A rope was strung up from the branch of a sturdy tree, and the witches were led one by one to the noose. When it came time for Reverend Burroughs to swing, he surprised the crowd by perfectly reciting the Lord's Prayer. Suddenly, some onlookers doubted the Reverend's guilt and called for a stay of his execution. In response, Cotton Marr, a central figure in the witch trials, reminded the townspeople that Burroughs was given his day in court and had been found guilty. He also suggested that the devil whispered the words to the prayer in Burroughs' ear. That was all it took. Moments later, the Reverend swung. By the time they were done that night, the villagers of Salem had executed five innocent people, but they weren't even close to finished. Coming up, we take a look at the Salem witch trials and just how many innocent people died for the crime of witchcraft. Hi, listeners. There's a new Spotify original from Parcast you do not want to miss. It's called Very Presidential with Ashley Flowers, and it uncovers the most damning details surrounding history's most high-profile leaders. Every Tuesday through the 2020 election, host Ashley Flowers shines a light on the darker side of the American presidency. From torrid love affairs and contemptible corruption to shocking cover-ups and even murder, she'll expose the personal and professional controversies you may never knew existed. You'll hear some wildly true stories about presidents such as Richard Nixon, Thomas Jefferson, Teddy Roosevelt, JFK, and more. Very Presidential highlights the exploits you never learned in history class, but probably should have. Family drama, personal vices, dirty secrets. These presidents may have run, but they most certainly can't hide. Follow the fantastic new series, Very Presidential with Ashley Flowers, free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. On August 19, 1692, 
five convicted witches were hung at the base of Salem's Gallows Hill, a location now memorialized as Proctor's Ledge. But they weren't the first to suffer that fate, and they certainly wouldn't be the last. My guest host, Wendy, is going to take over here to discuss what led to these infamous Salem witch trials. Thanks, Vanessa. The figure of an evil, devil-possessed witch was not unique to Salem, Massachusetts. During the 16th and 17th centuries, it's estimated that around 80,000 accused witches were executed across Europe. It's likely that this mania was inspired by the 1486 publication of Malleus Maleficarum, a guide on how to identify and detect witches. For around a century, the book was the most sold book in Europe, aside from the Bible, so enormously popular. However, eventually, around the 1660s, Europe's witch mania died down. The hunting and execution of witches largely ceased. Unfortunately, across the Atlantic, a new age of witchcraft was bubbling. In January of 1692, two young Salem village girls, Betty Paris and Abigail Williams, exhibited strange signs of a mysterious affliction. Among her unexplained behaviors, Betty barked like a dog, crawled underneath furniture, babbled strings of nonsense, and complained of a fever. Abigail screamed uncontrollably and convulsed. Perhaps most shocking of all, Betty threw a Bible across the room. In the following weeks, several more young girls displayed similar behaviors, causing concern among the villagers. To this day, it's unclear exactly what caused their symptoms, but the Puritans came up with their own answer. When local doctor William Griggs was unable to find a physiological cause for the strange afflictions, he suggested that a supernatural force was to blame. With a doctor pointing the finger at witchcraft, the floodgates opened to further accusations. More and more girls in the village reported afflictions like Betty Paris's and claimed they'd been bewitched. When asked who cast the wicked enchantment, the girls offered the names of three women, Tituba, a slave from the Caribbean, Sarah Good, a beggar, and Sarah Osborne, a curmudgeonly old woman who didn't regularly attend church. Things might have ended soon after these charges had it not been for a confession. At her trial, such as it was, Tituba admitted that she was in league with the devil and had flown through the air with Good and Osborne at her side. They had cursed the afflicted girl, she said. Later, she recanted her confession. It's likely that Tituba confessed, hoping it would save her life. It's also possible that she was beaten until she confessed and then coached on what to say at trial. What's clear is that following Tituba's confession, more and more people in Salem were accused of witchcraft and no one was safe. Three of the afflicted girls claimed they were bitten by the spectral form of Sarah Good's four-year-old daughter, Dorcas. Little Dorcas was promptly arrested and kept imprisoned for eight months. When she watched her mother taken away to be hanged, the girl was frantic with grief. Over 200 people were accused of witchcraft during the hysteria, not all of them by the so-called afflicted girls. Dark magic became a common, disturbing allegation thrown between villagers in the midst of petty conflicts. 
Of those accused, around 150 of them were arrested. 19 were found guilty and hanged. Another man, who refused to either confess or to deny the charges against him, was tortured to death. A further seven accused died in jail. Eventually, authorities saw reason. In October of 1692, they banned spectral evidence from the courtroom. This meant that visions and dreams could no longer be considered as evidence. The charge reflected public sentiment. Gradually, the hysteria in Salem died down and the number of accusations dwindled. By May of 1693, Massachusetts Governor William Phipps pardoned and freed all of those accused and imprisoned on charges of witchcraft. Unfortunately, the damage had already been done. For the next decade, Salem was forced to reckon with its hysterical witch craze of 1692. Just a few years later, the colony found itself beleaguered by failing crops, droughts, and smallpox. And many feared the witch trials had angered God. In an effort to make amends, a day of prayer and fasting was held in 1697. In 1711, legislation was passed to officially clear all those convicted of witchcraft, and financial restitution was made to the victims' families. Salem's witch trials eventually passed into legend, and the period is now so closely associated with the town's name that separation of one from the other seems impossible. It's like the specters of the hanged men and women linger on, warning the town what evil really looks like. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Thanks again, Wendy, for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Vanessa. You can find my podcast, Unsolved Murders, on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. Today in True Crime is a ParCast original. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other ParCast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite ParCast originals, like Today in True Crime, for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. To stream Today in True Crime on Spotify, just open the app and type Today in True Crime in the search bar. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. To learn more about the Salem Witch Trials, check out my other show, Female Criminals, where we have two full episodes on the tragic story. Today in True Crime was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Juan Borda, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Joshua Kern. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by Lauren DeLille, with writing assistance by Abigail Cannon, and stars Wendy McKenzie and Vanessa Richardson. It's the most powerful position in American politics, and arguably the world. But behind the oath to preserve, protect, and defend lie dark secrets posed to leave some legacies in disgrace. Don't forget to check out the new Spotify original from Parcast, Very Presidential with Ashley Flowers. Every Tuesday through the 2020 election, host Ashley Flowers shines a light on the darker side of the American presidency, exposing 
wildly true stories about history's most high-profile leaders. To hear more, follow Very Presidential with Ashley Flowers, free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.